Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Women in Confidence. This week, we are talking all about burnout. So what it is, what are the signs, what to look out for, how you can perhaps prevent it, and also what steps you can take if you find yourself in burnout or somebody you know is in burnout. Look, I can talk about it, but I think it's probably better to get the expert on. So who better to join me in this conversation than Bianca McKee, who is an anti-burnout coach. So perfect for this topic. And she's helping women to find joy through their mindset, movement and meditation and also to control their stress, which I imagine is a major contributor to burnout. So welcome to the show, Bianca, and thanks very much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. So we're going to talk about confidence and we're also going to talk about burnout. That is the topic of the show. But let's start with this uh, this question, Bianca. What does having confidence mean to you? I think there's a, if you would ask me a week ago, I would have said something really simple, which is being confident is having the ability to feel the fear and do it anyway. But I actually think that confidence is actually about trusting your intuition. And it is about being able to get back up when you have failed and to give it a try. But it is also about knowing when to set boundaries and listening to that gut instinct. And sometimes it is just as much about saying no as it is about saying yes to something. So what's changed then? Because you said a week ago you'd have said one thing. What's changed in that time? I think that through reflection, um, I do a lot of work on emotions, emotional suppression. I work with the Emotional Culture Deck, the Wellbeing Deck. So I'm constantly reflecting on how I feel, how others are feeling, my um, my clients are feeling. I use that a lot as a self-reflection tool. And sometimes there were times or instances when I wasn't feeling confident when I went out first, maybe the first year of my business when I took facilitation opportunities that probably weren't right or I wasn't ready. And I thought that was a lack of confidence, but actually that was my intuition telling me, actually, you could have prepared a little bit more or um, you could have studied a little or that wasn't your lane. Um, Some of those things I think sometimes have to do with preparation. So confidence is more than just kind of feeling the fear and doing it anyway or that fail fast. I really like you brought up the emotional culture deck and maybe we could start there as well as around our emotions and how we're feeling and how are you feeling right now and how do you want this podcast to make you feel uh i would love for the podcast to make me feel confident which is ironic because it is all about confidence i would say that i um i'm feeling brave i don't love i don't love public speaking or podcasts um they are it is something that is new to me and we obviously get better with practice um so i'm probably feeling a little bit uncomfortable but brave. All right. Well, hopefully um, I won't make you feel uncomfortable at all. It's To be honest, the confident part has already been done. You've taken a step. We're now um, recording. So confidence bit is a tick. But yeah, let's get going. So we're going to talk about burnout. Now, I know what I, I did a bit of research. So I've looked at the sort of dictionary definition and it's around emotional, physical and mental exhaustion caused by excessive and prolonged stress so that's what comes out of the dictionary essentially or google let's just say i'll just be honest let's call it google i haven't actually picked up a book but um how would you describe burnout that is the definition i think that there are potentially there are two official definitions that get thrown around a lot there is that definition that you just gave me and there's also 
that World Health Organization that talks about it being an occupational phenomenon. I actually believe that it is just when we overwork ourselves and that can be in a carer's role, it can be at home as a, as a new mum, it can be not I don't believe that it is just an occupational phenomenon. I think it is more about just overwork. And with the, the it says emotional, physical and mental, in your experience and your opinion, are, are they three separate ones or do you have to have emotional stress, physical stress and mental exhaustion to lead to burnout? I think that stress is stress. So understanding that um, our stress response, which is predominantly what I talk to people initially about, which is understanding that stress is a thing that can um, can be as simple as our boss is asking us to do a little bit too much work that's making us feel uncomfortable. But then there's that stress response where we talk about the um, our nervous system and we've got our parasympathetic nervous system, which is when we're calm and we're when in the scientific term is that homeostasis where everything is is going well in our body and our mind. And then there's that sympathetic nervous system which is when our adrenals and that cortisol spikes and we start to feel like I do when I facilitate for the first five minutes. So I notice my breathing gets heavier, my heart rate goes up, my pupils are dilated, um, which I call a meerkatting. Sometimes if you're in, in stress for a long period of time, you feel it in your gastrointestinals. I think that there is stress and then there's the stress response. And what is causing that stress can be emotional labor, but it can also, it, it could be physical stress. So you're exhausted. So I don't necessarily think it has to be one of those three things. It's just that overwork or overexhaustion. So you've already talked about the gastro, sort of the reaction or the symptom. What other signs are there that somebody is either tipping into burnout or is in full-on burnout if that's even a way of describing it I like to talk a lot about our stress levels so if you imagine there was this barometer of if the bottom of the barometer is you're green you're calm you're thriving you know you're sleeping well you're effective you're focused um, if you start going up to that yellow you're in kind of survival where you might just be a little bit nervous you know you might have you might wake up in the night once you might be a little bit extra tired, but that's not something that you're feeling every day. It could just be that you've got a deadline the next day at work or, you know, there's just something playing in your mind. But if that starts to creep up into the orange, which is tolerable but not quite toxic, it's when you really feel that apathy, that exhaustion, you're snapping at people, whether it's in the workplace or at home. You know, it might be that predominantly I think I see it with either workers or carers. So it may be that witching hour if you've got young children at five o'clock and you're snapping because you're trying to make dinner and you're also, you know, your partner just comes home and they want to talk to you and everyone's every kind of wants something from you or it might be that a co-worker wants something from you at work and you've got eight other tasks and you're starting to feel overwhelmed. That's where you start noticing how effective or efficient your day-to-day life is so I think when I was talking about that barometer that orange to red is when it's toxic and it's disabling so you may start feeling so exhausted that you can't get up and function Um, you may be having 
uh, panic attacks, the negative thoughts start kicking in. You really just can't do your day-to-day anymore. But those initial signs are probably the, the yellow to orange where you're not doing those self-care things, you're not eating well, you're not sleeping well, you, you know, brain fog is a big one. And so it sounds like my, my perimenopause symptoms, but I know it's very, very different. Yes, definitely, definitely. But I guess it can yes. be confused with, oh, it's just your phase of life that you're going through, it's just your age. What's How does it differ? Obviously, I would always, everyone's going to say go and see your GP. However, when it's chronic, and again, when you're at that point where it's, toxic I think that often if we're if it's something minor it will um, ebb and flow so if you talk about that that occupational burnout which is where we see burnout most it's not going to be fixed by a holiday or a long weekend or a lot of rest or eating well you know sleeping in a little bit more doing you know going to a yoga class it's it's more chronic than that yeah, I was about to lead on to that around, well, okay, you, you've got some, you know, some symptoms in that sort of chronic, toxic, uh, red zone, or you're displaying certainly most of the symptoms there. It cannot be fixed by just saying to somebody, oh, just take a day off or just, you know, like you said, have a lie and go on holiday. It, it can't. And I interviewed somebody a few weeks ago now, and she'd been through burnout herself and depression. And it took her two years to fully recover and feel sort of herself um i mean that might be the extreme two years but is that something that you would support that it 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 can't be just fixed by oh just you know have the day off i would like to believe and this is why i call myself an anti-burnout coach and not a, a burnout coach is a lot of people are coming to me when they're at that point of exhaustion or potentially like they're very close but i would like to catch people in that that orange they almost yellow to orange zone when they're picking up that that they're constantly in that sympathetic nervous system. You know, I'm sure managers mean well when they say, oh, we'll just take the week off. But actually, it, how long in your experience does it take to recover from something like real burnout? Uh, from my personal experience, it probably took me six months. Um, and that's not a stu- I actually haven't been asked that question. Um, but personally, it did. It took me about six months. I took a real holiday. Um, I rested, I I learned how to set better boundaries. I I mean, I burnt out probably from a combination of things. Initially it was that I wasn't happy in the workplace. I then went through a redundancy. Um, so some of the, and then I got married. So there was some really good stress and then there was some obviously not so great stress in my life. And then I was caring for my mum and for family members as well who were grieving rather than caring for myself. I went into a brand new role that I wasn't ready for and I wasn't coping. I I couldn't, honestly, I couldn't concentrate on how to do some of the really basic learnings in a new role. And I wasn't, I didn't know that it was burnout. I didn't know. I just thought, oh, maybe this wasn't the right role for me. And I took a really large chunk of time off. I went to Canada. I I was lucky enough to have a partner at home, but burnout was pretty severe for me. I was lying in bed and pretending to do something all day, and I would get up probably half an hour before my husband got home and pretended that I'd done something because I didn't want him to know that I'd lay in bed all day. And it took me about six months. 
So let's talk about you then. And I guess why and how did you become a burnout coach? I mean, you've already given us a little insight as to why, but talk us through that. I think that coaching was always naturally going to happen or I had always had this fascination with the human condition from the time I was very, very young. I then, I went into writing. So my first, my first job was writing. And that's what I studied initially at university. But I was constantly writing about people in care roles, social workers, psychologists. I was taking additional psychology electives at university just because I loved it, just because I was interested. And everything I was writing about was about self-care, psych. I was always fascinated in like psychometrics. So I worked in a couple like writing, marketing, PR type roles initially. And after that burnout, I found myself in a HR role and I started to learn about what coaching actually was through um, psychometrics, through um, coaching managers or leaders or potentially even just having to set boundaries with colleagues. I then met a couple of really fantastic mentors and coaches who taught me all about coaching. Uh, but I think I, I'm not sure that I was aware of just how much it was going to shape everything that I do personally and I think professionally. Um, mental health is really is a really big thing for me as well. So I'm very interested in how our body-mind connection and the stress can cause that chronic illness. So there's really interesting statistics around um, people who end up in an emergency who have suffered stress or, or burnout. So one in four people who end up in an emergency also say that they're experiencing burnout. So I think because mental health was such a big thing for me, I lost my um, my dad to suicide and my mum was really struggled with trauma and she had a lot of other aspects and things that had happened in her life. But I was, and she died in her 50s from cancer. And I've always, always believed that it was to do with how stressed she was and how she wasn't able to manage that stress. So I think it is from a personal perspective, it isn't just about me burning out, but it's also, it's about stress. Number one, it is about stress and understanding that and helping people not get to that chronic level of stress. But I suppose having gone through that experience, you you can empathise with people when they say, oh, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that. And and sometimes just verbalising it, you might, those people might think, when they come to you, you might think, well, this is just silly because some people, they can just breeze through their life and they've got the same pressures on, but they breeze through it. So why why me? Why? And it's a sign of vulnerability, I suppose, if they come to you and they're like, I'm feeling burnout with with something that average person just breezes through. So I guess there's some sort of, they feel maybe vulnerable, they maybe feel a bit silly. But so with you having gone through burnout, you can, I suppose, understand what it's like. I mean, you don't necessarily have the same burnout because I'm sure everybody's burnout is different. But I guess having gone through it, it makes you a better anti-burnout coach. Definitely. And I think that real burnout is disabling. And that's that's the biggest factor for me. I don't ever want to see anybody get to that point where they can't physically get up out of bed. So with the people who come to you then, they say, Bianca, I'm uh, displaying X, Y, and Z. This is what's going on in my life. I'm you know, hugely stressed. 
where do you start trying to bring them back to where they want to be? Because it's not about where you want them to be. It's absolutely where the person they want to return to be. How do you start with them? I would ask them to talk to me about how they're currently feeling and how they want to feel, big picture. Uh, often a lot of the little things that people will talk to me about is, is they're just they're feeling exhausted. You know, they want to feel more capable in their lives. Initially, every every conversation I have with people, and I tell people all the time to feel their feelings. That's a bit of my mantra. I think that's why I love those tools, the wellbeing deck and the emotional culture deck, because I can start that and I can physically display that rather than um, it gives you a a point of reference or something to play with. I think often some people are fantastic about talking about their feelings or and others are a little bit afraid. And I, I think that's probably detrimental in understanding that if you were going to create a model around how we can change behaviour and what I do a lot is about those little habits um, that we can give people around the breath and self-care and boundaries but if we don't recognise the stress, we don't feel it in our bodies and we can't label it, you know, that name it to tame it, how can we um, really change that response? If we're not, we're not even aware of it, I don't think I ever really understood what, what that stress response was until I read the book Burnout by um, Emily Nagoski where she talked about that um, sympathetic nervous system. You talk about name it to tame it. What are some of the things that people come to you? You don't need to give away any sort of secrets, but you know, and they say, This is what's going on for me, this is how I feel, this is how I'm naming it. What do you hear from people? Overwhelm. The biggest thing that I hear from people is overwhelm. They're doing too much. Often people who experience burnout are in roles where there's a lot of emotional labor. So I think that's a big factor of frontline workers we saw in the pandemic, frontline workers and carers. Um, so whether that's your retail or your nurses, but they're all having to do that emotional labour. So having that, this is where I talk about being able to talk about how you're feeling is so important because to debrief, if you're actually, I don't want to say that they wear a mask, but I think sometimes they do have to, in some of those roles where there is a high level of um, emotional labour, there is a mask where you have to be a little bit more professional and you can't, there's emotional suppression, which I think causes a higher level of stress. You said earlier that you had a job in HR and I sort of, I work in HR and that um, sort of emotional stress and that sort of frontline care work, which I know people think it's HR, but actually during the pandemic, that was a real part of people's jobs you know, in HR. They were dealing with the deaths, you know, the, the sickness, the stress that other people were passing on. And I do wonder what the statistics are for people in HR suffering from burnout. I don't know them off the top of my head and I'm not asking you, you know, the question now, but it's just amusing of mine is that I wonder if HR people have ever been monitored for burnout because certainly my experience through the pandemic, it was pretty stressful for people working in HR, particularly those sort of frontline HR roles. I don't know, just a just a sort of a distraction really, but do you think there are professions, you talked about care professions, but any other professions where you think burnout is likely to be prolific? Doctors, nurses, fast food and retail workers, social workers, police officers, air traffic controllers, emergency response workers, lawyers, teachers and Funnily enough, public accountants, 
that's a that's a broad range of, of professions mm. really wow okay um well i can always put a link to that in the show notes all right so um when people are you know noticing these signs in themselves and particularly in others particularly if you think in the workplace you might be starting to notice these some of these signs of burnout in others what would you recommend people do if we see if we're starting to see the signs of burnout in somebody in the workplace or in somebody that we care about I think initially it is, and it's often around having, whether you're having any type of mental health conversation, it, it's just talking about what you're observing in somebody that's a little bit different to the norm and just asking them how they're feeling. And I think often people are a little bit nervous about asking, how are you or are you okay? But the only thing that we really need to be able to do in that instance is to listen. And I think that gives us a, a a little bit of freedom in knowing that we don't actually have answers, but to give somebody the opportunity to be heard is very powerful. So I, I think that's absurd. Yeah. So asking somebody how they are, if you see any significant changes to their, um, their physical kind of hygiene, maybe just observe that you, that you're noticing that they seem a little bit tired or they're running late and see where that conversation takes you. I think the biggest thing, and I actually just completed my uh, mental health first aid qualification, and I think that just offering a little bit of time and to listen is the most powerful thing that we can do. Um, Obviously, you can then say maybe you can go chat to your GP if there's a bigger issue, but just listening is very, very powerful to just offer that support, I think. And then sort of beyond just the listen, is there anything else that you could advise? You know, particularly if I was listening, I'm like, actually, Bianca's touched on something that I'm feeling. Yes, I can go and see my GP and I can find a, hopefully a supportive colleague. But is there anything that like you talked about physical, maybe some self-care that they can do? Mm. Um, I mean, you talked a bit about them, but do you want to just sort of wrap them up right now? I think in the workplace... And or whether it's whether whether we're at home on our desks or you know in, in whatever context it is, it's around being okay with taking a little bit of rest. And obviously, depending on what it is that you're doing for a living, you know some people don't get can't just go for a break whenever they need a break, where others can. But just being okay with resting and taking those breaks when you can take them. Focusing on your breath is so understated to just slow down and and hear your breathing. If you are feeling a little bit anxious or overwhelmed, um, a really simple thing that you can do is just focus on your your senses, so what you can hear, what you can taste, what you can smell, what you can see and what you can touch. Um, And obviously really little things like have you eaten, are you hangry? That there's an analogy that I use, um, I halt, which is hungry, angry, lonely, tired. So you assess, you know, have you eaten, had enough water, that type of thing. They're angry. I talk about what is the emotion that you may be feeling. The loneliness is do you just need to connect to a person and tired because for me, like the number one thing with, and anybody who's ever had children knows this, I have young children, is are you tired or do you actually need to get some sleep? So I really love that acronym, not analogy, sorry, I think I said earlier, HALT. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And I guess if you're um, meeting all four of those, that's quite a significant life-changing place to be. So 
what's your one piece of advice that you give to women? Let's talk because women are the, are the um, target of this audience and I know they're your clients. What's your one piece of advice that you give women who are really starting to feel symptoms of burnout? And they've got to recognize it first. And that is a challenge. But how do you what do you recommend for them? Because predominantly what I hear is the word overwhelm, rest and delegating are the two things that I would say are incredibly powerful. You can ask for help or you can ask someone else to do something. It doesn't have to be perfect. The other thing that research states is most of the time people who experience burnout are those like type A perfectionists personalities so it's okay to not be perfect sometimes done is is done um so asking for somebody to help you with something even if it's not the way to your standards is a big one and rest is like rest isn't quitting you can slow down to speed up if you're a high achiever i think those are things that just sort of feel like they're wired into you i sort of say that from personal point of view but you know definitely rest is not necessarily something I feel comfortable with or people feel comfortable with and delegating feels like I'm not coping and people will yeah so there's lots and lots of mixed up with that and these high achieving types of people tend to almost step away from those things which is the very thing they need to do so they need to rest and they need to delegate and they need to ask for help are probably the challenges it's just not a natural type of thing for them to do what I like to do, Bianca, because I think it, it's just a really great way to wrap up the conversations, I just tend to ask some quick fire questions. So the first question, and these tend to come at me randomly, but I've, um, I did a little bit of prep this today, and they are just fairly odd in many ways. But I want to know what is your favourite season and why? I love summer. I, I love the heat. I love the sun. Like I'm the person that says, oh, the sun's out. My husband calls me a wizard, actually. I really dislike the cold. I, I feel it in my joints. So I just, I love the opportunity to be outside. The days are longer. Um, you can go out for a walk. I really am very much about that mindfulness. So being able to walk along my creek or see the, hear the birds or I, the little things make me happy, genuinely make me happy. So the longer days, the smell in the air, summer. I love summer. <laughs> okay next question you're baking a cake a confidence cake so you have to go with the the whole idea what are the three ingredients that you would put into your confidence cake uh, self-love finished is better than perfect and reflection my last question then what book has made a lasting impression on you you've already mentioned one book but um is there another book that's made a lasting impression on you hmm. i am i'm the person that always has a couple of books going and i'm reading you know too many on my on my bedside table as well um maybe the first one that my very first coach got me to read which was big magic by elizabeth gilbert which i think a lot of entrepreneurs say but she talks about how um, we need to create space for creativity to come. And I actually believe we just need to create space for confidence and to not feel so stressed and to cultivate that calm. And Big Magic talks about that. It talks about how your best creativity always comes in the shower or when you're somewhere else 
you know, it doesn't necessarily come when you're writing the book. It comes, you know, when you're in a completely different context, when you've allowed yourself that space. The big magic. Big magic. Okay, by Elizabeth Gilbert. And so how are you feeling right now? We've sort of got to the end of the podcast. How are your feelings now? Can I say confident? <laughs> of course you can. I um, hope you would. <laughs> ironically, yeah, I, I'm uh, yeah, proud of myself. I, this isn't something that I, I love doing and the more you do it, you get better at it and that is another aspect of confidence. I would say I feel confident because I, I went through the journey. But yeah, confidence is, is what how my view is. It's absolutely a muscle and the more you use it, the better you get at it. So hopefully um, your confidence muscle is getting strong and fit right now. Yes, thank you. Listen, Bianca, thanks so much for being on the show and telling us all about burnout, a little bit about your journey um, through burnout to be an anti-burnout coach. How can people find you? Uh, my website's pretty easy, biancamckey.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. That's probably my favourite social media um, place to hang out, biancamckey.spelt, D-O-T-C-O-M. Uh, or you can also find me on LinkedIn. Don't ask me what my LinkedIn is. It's a whole bunch of numbers. It's not the fancy one. But if you type me in, there's only two anti-burnout. There's only one anti-burnout coach with my name. So, Brilliant. And I'll put all your details in, in the show notes so people can contact you. Well, listen, thanks very much for being on the show. and Have a great rest of the day. Thank you so much.